KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. My name is Matt Leon. There is something really important going on at Westchester University. It is called the DNA Discussion Project, and it is helping to further conversations about diversity. Now, we were fascinated by this concept, so we reached out to Dr. Anita Foman. She is the director of the DNA Discussion Project, also a professor of communications and media at Westchester University. Really, really interesting stuff. Give a listen. So let's start at the beginning. What is the DNA Discussion Project? Uh, Yes, the DNA Discussion Project uses ancestry DNA tests in order to look at somebody's genetic profile, and then we find out what their background is and how that compares to the story that they grew up with in their lives. What was the genesis for this? How did it start? I was always interested in the Human Genome Project, and um, I was also going and doing diversity training in different places. And these two interests came together because um, I started to read in journals, the uh, journal Nature and Journal Science, that you could use the human genome to trace people's ancestry. And I thought, I bet there are people walking around who do not know some of the things in their background. And some of the things that people would say about, you know, I'm 100% or I'm 100% that, and they would you know, talk about other groups as if they were, you know, not even of the same human race. And I thought, I bet people would be surprised. And so I initially, when the first test came out before they were on the big market, I found a lab that could do this testing and I got a grant to test three people. Each kit was $450. And I was trying to explain to people what I was doing and the tests were super rudimentary, but people were finding out just from the very beginning, really interesting things. And one person, for example, had a story in his family that they were Native American. He, he said he had a you know, Scottish, Irish background. And he said, there's a story that there's Cherokee. And so we found rather than Cherokee, that there was African in his background. And, you know, God bless his family. They said, yeah, maybe, maybe she was Black. And we started talking about why that narrative replaced the narrative that was was true. And these tests would just bring up conversations that under other circumstances would not come up, would be impossible, or would people would be very defensive about. And so it was just an opening to talk about human variety in such a positive, interesting way. Um, and having done diversity training, sometimes you would have to drag people into the training. But with the ancestry test, you know, people were like, give me a test. I want to talk about it. And so it was just such a positive way to talk about our human variety. So you start with the three tests. How has it grown? And if, if I remember from researching, that was 2006. Am I correct? Yeah, correct. You're correct. And yes, we've done over 3,000 now. Uh, now we've used different tests over the years and the tests have become more sophisticated from that initial one that I used. But yes, um, we have 3,000 and we've done multiple research projects and there, uh, we have a book that's coming out in, in November and there's just lots going on based on the project. So it, it has grown. And, and I knew when the test hit like $99, that it would start to generate interest. And the interesting thing is at the beginning, people thought of it as like a party trick, 
Then people started finding relatives and they started finding surprises in their backgrounds. And it was like, whoa, this has really strong implications. And of course, we've been studying it for years at that point. Is this all Westchester students? Is it people in the Westchester community? Who's who's the pool that is usually taking part in this? Yes, it, it depends. That's a great question. It depends upon the grant that we get. Now, for the most part, when we get money from the university or, or you know that kind of funding, we have to use university students. But we have had projects where we have worked with community organizations and others, and they've purchased their own kits. And we decided early on that we wanted to, you know, make sure that as many students at, as West, at Westchester who could get it as possible. But as I said, we've done projects that are uh, beyond the university. And so it's, it's a combination. How often are people close to correct? And I don't mean like you have a specific percentage, but is it more often than not that people are at least in the right ballpark or for the most part, is everyone missing significant things? That's a great question again. And, and let me answer that in two ways. We have done research, both scientific and, and non-scientific, to ask people how, how many of you think you have gaps in your, you know, some kind of gap in your family record. And between 60 and 80% of people feel they have some kind of gap. I would say that most people are generally in the ballpark, you know, that most people will say, you know, we're, we're European or you know, we're African or we're something. I would say also say most people find out a little something, you know, there's usually something that somebody goes, that's really interesting. That's neat. A few percentages of this or that. And then I would say in like 5% of cases, you're going to get somebody who finds something that they go like, whoa, and, and do it in a, you know different classes. And, and when I do two classes, it's 50 people. I would say every semester, I get one or two people who are like, holy moly. So that's, that's what I would say, that, you know, that small percentage of people. That small percentage, what are the reactions? I mean, I would imagine for some people results of what not they're not expecting kind of shakes the fundamental core of who they think they are. What kind of responses do you get? Yes, indeed. And it depends upon the nature of what they find. Um, the literature tells us that about one in 25 people, some of the, uh, some numbers are higher, have what they call misattributed paternity, that they don't have the father that they thought. And so we have found that in, in multiple cases. And that rocks people's worlds. If they really thought person X was their dad and that person wasn't, that has really caused some, you know, some reactions. And I've talked people through it. Uh, when I ask people, you know, are you sorry that you took the test? Sometimes people wish they could go back to innocence, but and overall, they feel like they, they many times will feel like there was something going on that they didn't understand and it sort of filled in the blanks. The other thing, because I look a lot at ancestry, people find out that they have different ancestry than they thought, and it depends upon how different it is. For example, I will have somebody who says I'm 100% Irish, and they find out there's like British or Scandinavian or whatever, and they go, you know, that's wild, you know, but that, it doesn't really shake their world. When they jump across something that we identify as race rather than just ethnicity, so somebody finds that they have African instead of European and, and vice versa, um, or Asian. 
um, then people are often quite caught off guard. There was one individual who was not a student at Westchester uh, who took the test and all her life, people had told her, you look Asian. And her family is like, no, no, it's just um, your Southern Italian genes being misread. So she takes the test, it's 50% Asian. And so she confronts, she's like, where, where did this come from? When she confronts her dad, he says, well, if it's half Asian, then like John Smith is your father. She'd never, she said he said it casually. And how could her mom not know this? How could, you know, this, it's so strange. And that the thing that has struck me is how many people have like open secrets in their families just for general, for decades, and um, they start popping out with these tests. And it depends upon the kind of person it is. One guy was really funny. The first thing I did, and this was a student, first thing I do is send, send students back to talk to their families because I, I don't want any surprises if we don't have to. So one guy had this narrative in his family, they're all Polish or what you know whatever it was, uh, some Eastern European. And they told him for the first time that his grandmother had been a prostitute. They had no idea who had father or children. And I said, how did that feel? And he's like, oh, whatever, you know? So some people are just totally easygoing and other people can find one person from a very conservative background, another student found 1% Middle Eastern in his background. And of course there are error rates in these. So it's not even hundred percent sure that he has that. His family was very upset about that. So it's, it's not always what it is, but how you experience it. And so that's as much of the conversation as anything. You talk about conversations. What kind of conversations is this opening up with people that find you know, I mean, the people that, that are rock, but maybe even people that, that just discover little things, uh, you know, what kind of, yeah. is there a lot of talk that, wow, we're all yes. uh, closer than, than yes. we and, are led to believe? Yes. And this whole idea of having these sort of difficult or courageous conversations is that once we start to look at our own background you start to open up talking about your family's history. You start to open up talking about things that might've been really tense or might've been impossible to talk about. And here are these genes that allow everybody to have equal footing in the story. And so it allows people to talk about themselves, about others in a way that is non-judgmental. And I think we could both agree that the conversation about diversity could be a lot less judgmental these days. Do you get a lot of people who are genuinely apprehensive about learning? And you talk about maintaining their innocence, but uh, are really, I don't know if concerns the word, but really like, I don't know, like we might, I don't want, know if I want to look behind the curtain. Yes. Some people don't take the test. Yes. And, and we never say you must take the test for this class. It's always an option. And, you know, so you have an alternate assignment if you don't want to do this. Most people do. And I actually spend more time these days than I did in the early days talking about why you might not want to take the test. And people also are allowed to take the test and not share the results. For the research, I have to get the results back to me and I have a research partner and um, we get the results back. But somebody can say, I don't want you to see the results. And, and that's perfectly fine. Most people do. I would say 85, 90% of people participate even if they find something. 
But yes, and I think it's the person's right. The only thing that I will say is that the future holds more information, not less. And just because you don't take a test does not mean somebody else won't. And you'll find out something you weren't looking for necessarily. Uh, And there's going to be more and more data out there. So I think it may be harder to maintain that innocence. Um, One person in our project found out that she had many relatives from um, artificial insemination. Well, these kids are walking around and they don't know that the elders exist. So it's probably good that you know that you're in the same region with people who you maybe have siblings with. So talking about this and then on Saturday, I know you guys have an important event coming up. Talk to me a little bit about what you're doing on Saturday. Yes. Uh, in this project, Courageous Conversations, that is taking place, it, you know, we're online, we're doing it via Zoom because of the circumstances, is from 11 to 2 o'clock, and we are picking up on the idea of these courageous conversations, and people can select topics that they want to talk about. There's one group that talks about bystander training, and this is something that's new that has really come up in in the discussion. What happens if you see something that bothers you. And in the past, you thought, you know, what what do I say? What do I do? Somebody tells a joke and you think it's obnoxious, but how do you behave in that situation? So bystander training, there's uh, one that I'm doing on discussing a race at work. There's one on implicit bias. So there are five different uh, topics that are going to be discussed. And we're inviting the community and people on campus. And I have been surprised at how popular it's been so far. So Please, anybody who's interested, look on Westchester uh, University's webpage. Speaking of, I've, we are going through a moment when it comes to, I don't know if racial reckoning is the term, but in this country, yes, you yes. know, where a lot of white people are really realizing how things really are, and maybe they had been able to ignore. Do you feel like this is a moment that's going to have staying power and lead to legitimate change, or... Are you concerned that this is something that people will say the right things, but then as time goes on, we'll revert back to what we're used to? Well, I think we, you know, it's like two steps forward, one step back. And and I think that we are, there, there are a lot of people, when I look out at the people who are marching, I'm shocked in the small towns. And I look at the people who are marching, they're people of different colors and not just white and black, you know, you have all kinds of people. Um, So I think we're trying very hard. This is difficult stuff. This is not something that this generation or my generation or my parents' generation invented. These are historical problems. And I also want to say that one of the things that I like to keep in the forefront is how much richness everybody brings to the table, because sometimes I think we divide the world into victims and, you know, perpetrators. And we have all had to struggle to try to be part of this American quilt. And so I I would like to see people see how much African-Americans have added, Italian-Americans have added, Jewish-Americans have added, Native Americans. And and so I, I hope that some of the conversation that's been so contentious will help us start to look at some of the richness and not just the hate that's been between these groups. Why do you, why is it so tough for us to accept diversity? Why are there so many people to admit that 
something that happened 250 years ago that you had nothing to do with is a problem. Mm-hmm. Why, why is there such defensiveness? I think people are, I've had people say stuff to me. I was, I was complaining once many years ago before I had the job I have now. And I was saying, oh, it's hard to look for a job. You know, I'm an African-American, I'm a woman. And a friend of mine who was white guy, we're still good friends today, said, look, nobody's jumping out at me trying to get me a job either. And I think I had to really hear that because I think sometimes people feel like it's a zero sum game. I'm feeling like, you know, I can't get a job because, and he's feeling like, well, nobody's throwing a job at me. And and I think it's hard because people feel that something's gonna be taken away from them. And I have an attitude of abundance because I feel that there's enough out there for everybody. Suppose we were able to unleash all the energy, all the creativity of all these people. And I'm happy to say that both I and my very good friend both have wonderful jobs that we love. So it it was a story that had a good ending. And I think that sometimes we pit each other against one another. And and it's very hard when you have that view of zero sum game. And, And that's why I like talking about it from the point of view of the DNA, because everybody you know, the fact that we survived genetically is awesome. And so this view that one person's better than another is irrelevant because if you survived human history, you're pretty great. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.